Good day, everyone. This is Martha Childress, and welcome to Sedona Spotlight, where each week my co-host, Darielle Archer, or I, will feature teachers, healers, visionaries, and other notables in their field from mystical, magical Sedona, Arizona. Sedona Spotlight is here to shine its light on you, so anyone, anywhere, or anytime can experience the amazing energies emanating from the sacred red rocks of Sedona, Arizona. You can also lighten up live from Seattle and vicinity in Washington State every Tuesday at half past noon on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, or listen live online from anywhere in the world at 1230 PM U.S. Pacific Time by clicking the Listen Live link at SedonaSpotlight.com. And with me today is Raylene Abbott, a good friend and foremost expert, both experiential and through research, on all things related to the original origin, symbolism, and many of the many messages and adaptations of the Madonna or Divine Mother. She is a published author in five languages, including the titles, The Emergence of the Divine Feminine and A Mystic's Journey to the Sacred Sites of France, where she spent many, many years. And Raylene has also lived in both Mount Shasta and Sedona, Arizona. Uh, where she has been an expert and guide on vortexes and sacred sites as well, which is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the show, Raylene. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, not, a, not only are you the most uh, knowledgeable person I know when it comes to vortexes and sacred sites, um, especially here in Sedona and Shasta, Mount Shasta, um, which just happen to be the two most powerful uh, kind of, I would say, vortex locations in the United States. I especially love your unique perspective um, on the subject and how many of them are steeped in the symbolism of the divine feminine, which you are an expert in as well. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you would describe vortexes um, and uh, sacred sites? Oh, that's a a big question. Yep. I think think that what I, what I do. Yeah. In um, in your, in your perspective, how do you describe my language? In your language. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very solid. Um, I do a lot of it by looking into the rocks and there are archetypes actually in the form of rocks, um, such as the ley lines take on the form of, actually a a physical dragon and you just have to kind of shift the way that you look to Mm -hmm. see see the dragon faces and that's you know in china they would call you know they call it the green dragon which brings the fertility into the earth and so in mount shasta there's what people call the vortexes in more of an ancient language you know from asia they would call them dragon lines. And mm-hmm. there's always a female and a male. And once you start identifying that energy, then there is uh, like energy tubes. Yeah, like where, between, where the ley lines um, connect yes. is where it creates, creates it, the vortexes. So where everything's just kind of more amplified in those areas. Right. Is it, well, how I've the dragon, described. yeah, the, the dragon lines actually, what they do, they do have a purpose. They they uh, distribute the fertility through the earth. So when you get up in the mountains, you'll see like dragon lines, and usually at their tail, like up on Mount Shasta, uh, the forest begins. 
And one thing they're connected to is a lot of times sacred springs. So when you go to Europe or you go to Asia, like all through Europe, um, in France, Germany, the builders of the cathedrals actually built them on the dragon lines. When you go to Asia, you'll see, you know, dragon spirits at, you know, at the top of the mount, at the top of the temples. Yeah. So they're very aware of that. And here in America, it's a little bit more obscure because you actually have to be able to what I call rock breed. But once you shift your your vision into that, then you understand, like, wow, this is all here. And the mythos. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah the mythos. There, there's a reason you can see images in the rocks. So what can you tell us about the vortexes? Um, and what, what can you share about the vortexes and sacred sites, um, specifically here in Sedona? Well, to me, this Sedona is, all of this reflects in the physical body. What's inside is also outside. And so if you look at the meridians like an acupuncture in our bodies, if you look at acupuncture, um, they also have a dragon line. And at the top of the crown, all the meridians of the crown head all come up to the crown and connect. And they also connect at the feet. So Sedona has so many vortexes. To me, it's like the crown chakra Mm -hmm. in 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 the earth. And I don't think that it's probably the only one, you know, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't want to say, Oh, this is the only one I, I you know, cause <laughs> I really don't, I don't really know that for a fact. So I'm not going to say that, but when I see that it is, it uh, is a crown chakra, <laughs> it's a very high, high energy place. Yeah. And it's reflected uh, completely in the stones. Like I lived below chimney rock. And I walked Chimney Rock every single day. And some of the things that, you know, I would see this, like below Chimney Rock, you know, um, there's a, the, the land goes very flat. And it actually, from the runoff the water, it developed like vulvas that you could lay in. And the energy of, and if you were sensitive, you could actually lay in those like womb uh, like, I don't know what you'd even call them, but they're de- yeah, yeah. depressions yeah. In, in the, into the earth and just feel the energy running through your body if you're sensitive, you know, and yeah. it takes a certain type of sensitivity uh, and openness and trust because the energies are very, very powerful. And that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the ways that you can tell um, you're close to this is the animals like in, in the Roman roads that were built in Europe, they built over the animal trails because the energy is so strong, the animals would use that as a trail. And so the Roman roads were built over those trails yeah, and then, and then the standing stones, which were ways of, of distributing that fertility through the ground, the ground, through the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they used and those, and many of your cathedrals, if you look under the altar, there's actually a standing stone underneath it or, um, or like in uh, San Maria del Mar, you can, you can touch a fertility stone and the gypsies still do and pray over it to have a baby. 
Yeah. So, well, it's interesting because the birthing caves um, are kind of out in that more of that West Sedona area too. And, um, and when you're talking about where Chimney Rock and Thunder Mountain, you know, that's where the Buddhist monastery is, you know, so a lot of, like you say, a lot of the churches and whatnot, they kind of understood where all these kind of ley lines and vortexes met is, um, you know, are considered the sacred sites. Um, and and the Tibetan Buddhists are masters at it. Yeah. That's, yep. why, that's why, <laughs> that's why it's, that's why it's there. They understand yep. that. But um, it was more hidden in, you know, Christianity. And uh, the power is there because it's like the chi in the ground. It's much more stronger. And then when you pray and you align yourself with, with prayer to the higher dimensions, it comes down. And so it's like earth and heaven aligning in the physical form. And that's why a lot of times great healings would happen to people because there's much more chi available. And when people pray or meditate and they, they also surrender and then that Mm -hmm. energy can move through the blockages in the physical form. And what about the iron in the rocks here? Um, Is that um, because iron is kind of a conductor too. And so if there's like springs under the water, like around Bell Rock, and they talk about that being one of the the larger, more powerful vortexes, um, that's a little bit more known. But um, I I find if you just kind of, even my husband, you know, he's like, oh, you know, when I started kind of, uh, he first kind of felt some things around some of the, um, Olympic National Forest around some of those ancient trees. It's uh, it's like, boy, can you feel that? And and he's like, wow, I can't. So he's starting to recognize it. And he's, you know, we'll be walking along and we'll come around the corner and it's just like, wow, you you can start feeling it. Um, so you don't have to necessarily go to the well-known vortexes as you're walking around. Um, you know, if you start just kind of training yourself to recognize what that feeling is, you know, you'll find yourself walking in and out of them all over the place here. <laughs> Yeah, because there's also the smaller ones. You know, you'll have the you know a big one like Bell Rock, but it dis- you still have smaller ones that distribute that energy that yeah. are manifesting. Um, what I I've even noticed to- it in those little areas you, where you feel something, you look around, and then you can see the tree, and the tree bar, you know, the trunks are actually almost a spiral, and it's like, oh, okay, well that that. That's another indication. They're they're just mimicking the energy that's under the ground. But um, when I lived in Sedona, one of the the experiences I had, it was very powerful, and I had just moved there. I did not know the the legends, the Native American legends. I was just going in there, you know, naive. And so I went to Montezuma's well. And when I was there... Uh, they don't even know where the bottom of this well is. It's a well, you know, it's a sinkhole in the forest. And yeah, it's and it's very, the largest in the world, uh, the largest right. natural well I in the world. And they they can't, every time they put camera equipment down there, it gets pushed up. Yeah. <laughs> they can't find so it. The, um, what I kept on seeing was one of the rocks, I saw this really angry dragon. Now, I went, wow. And then I saw, you know, another dragon. And when I 
went close to the well when I walked down to the well. The chi was so strong, I went into um, automatic qigong with my body. Uh, it was just, uh, it had to, you know, my, my body had to move with it. Yeah. And w- when I came home, I started looking up and I found out that for the tribe's creation myth, the Hopi, Navajo, Mo- Mojave, and Yavapai uh, people, yeah, all have the same creation myth of white pearl woman. And when the flood came, they knew that it was coming. The ancient ones knew that it was coming. So they chose a beautiful woman and a woodpecker and put her in with food in a log and sealed it. And everyone was wiped away except her. And the log floated to the highest place in in Sedona, in the they call the red, you know, in the Red Mountains. Yeah. And I believe that's Chimney Rock. And the reason why I believe it's Chimney Rock was because when I was walking one day, I found in the stone this huge image of a goddess smiling. And it was, you know, one of those great big, long, tall rocks. Yeah. And she yeah. was standing, everything was red, but she was standing on a white stone. And some people call her white stone woman. Some people, some tribes call her white pearl woman. And I mm-hmm. knew I'd found her. And so I, you know, I read on to the myth and they talk about her birthing the Yavapai people. And she went to the Mangus Mountains and birthed and the sun fell in love with her. And so I, you know, I read this part of the myth and I'm going towards Cottonwood and it was sunrise one morning and all of a sudden the sun shined and there was a huge vulva mound. And I said, oh my God, this is where the sun impregnated her. So it was physically, all of these things were physically in the earth. Reflected in the landscape, yeah. It's literally in the landscape. And from from that place, she went to Boynton Canyon. And in Boynton Canyon, she birthed the Yavapai people, the people of the sun. And, you know, so I actually found the places before I knew the myth. And then I put the <laughs> put everything together. So... And and this is physically, so it's not so much, you know, there's a feeling, but there's also an opening of your eyes. You don't have to be clairvoyant. You don't have to be super sensitive. You just have to really look at those rocks and start seeing the imagery, the archetypes that are in there. And these archetypes are ancient. And this is where I believe, you know, the native legends come from and the secrets. Yeah. That... And I was just gifted to be able to um, fall upon this one day, as you know, as as I walk through. And even um, I, I wanted to say something about the Tibetans' temple. There is the Tibetans have a story about self-arising Buddhas in the landscape. And so no, one of the a lot of them that, around here. <laughs> yes, I yes, but meaning. I've, you know, like where I lived, and I, I, I lived very close to the stupa, and the self-arising Buddhas are carved out by the elementals themselves. So when they put a stupa to, together, there's 
many prayers and prayer wheels and satsas and um, offerings, treasure vases all inside this. And the reason why I know is because I helped help with this uh, stupa making in Mount Shasta. So I saw it from the inside out. Yeah, very cool. And in that process... I started getting guided to these self-arising Buddhas. I had a face of the Buddha that uh, manifested on the on the fence, very close to to the chimney. That was just was the rain, wind and the rain from the wind mm. and the rain. And uh, yeah, so these things, the elements literally eat the prayers, the elemental forces of the earth, wind, fire, sunlight, air. And they eat those prayers, just like they eat our thoughts. And then they become, they manifest through these prayers. And now, and so that's why in Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of times it's so important for for them to make offerings to the local deities. Uh, yeah. And, well, the formations are um, just amazing and you know, you don't have to, like you say, you don't have to be clairvoyant. Um, you just have, you don't even, you know, some of them are so literal too. some of the faces and figures. And it's interesting because some of them seem um, Egyptian and some of them seem Native American. Um, so it's interesting how, you know, and when you talk about the the, the Buddhists too, um, they're, they're all manifestations, I think, of, you know, these different, um, uh, you know, of of different uh, kind of prayers and whether they're kind of more steeped in Egyptian or Native American or Tibetan, they do seem to manifest. And that's really interesting the way you put it, that it, um, you know, it's the elements that actually do the carving. Well, in major sites, and this is, this is just my experience. So I, when I was living in Mount Shasta, I was a trail guide there and I was going to the dragon lines and I started discovering them and when I was at Green Butte, I saw all these deities from all over the world. I mean, I saw Shiva and Shakti. I saw, yep. um, uh, you know, uh, the, a rock that looked like the face of Christ in the womb of the Magdalene. I saw. I kept on seeing. So I went. I I used to collect herbs, um, a lichen, off of the trees for this Tibetan. Um, this Tibetan teacher that was making earth treasure vases. So I told him about my experience and he says, he said, he says, when you hit very major um, dragon lines or vortexes, let's call them vortexes, what happens is they're connected to the whole earth and all the mythos. So it's like a, it's like an earth library. So when you're in a very big place like Sedona, Mount Shasta, the Himalayas, this will manifest. Yeah. Beyond the local, it manifests for the whole planet. And that was what I saw. And he told me, he said, well, if I were you, you know, uh, I would visit all of them. So over uh, over the next few years, I went just from one dragon line to another, walking the mountain trails and then that energy took me to um, took me to France where I researched it more in a Western in a Western uh, society 
which yeah. the dragon lines were. They have uh, St. George or St. Michael that cut off the, the, the dragon head, which actually, you know, Christianity created a mythos, a separation mythos that separated yeah. us from our earth origins. Yeah. So a lot of my work now is about um, reweaving that that broken that broken record, so yeah. we can. So well, we can and your your um, research of the Madonnas and everything too—that's the one figure that you see so much in so many of the stones—is the kind of Madonna and child, or a pregnant woman, or. Like you say, just so much the divine feminine. In fact, that Mary's Chapel on the Rocks, the Catholic Church there. Um, the Madonna was, Rock. Yeah, the Madonna Rock. Yeah. yeah can you tell that us about was that? Place I, went, I visited the place many different times. Yeah. Many different times. So uh, when I was in France, I, w- I received a, a prayer, an offering prayer. And uh, I was on. I was in a uh, San Porcremu, which is kind of like a little Venice of south of France, and it was the Annunciation. And a forest fire started way, way out in the middle of the mountains in Provence, and you could see it. And we were sitting on the docks, and it was early morning. I was with a friend. And I had a pocket full of roses. And in that moment, I started offering the roses to the sea. And this prayer came out spontaneously, which I would consider a a Christian prayer that actually honors the elemental forces. But I'll say this for you. Ave Maria de la Mer, Ave Maria de la Terre, Ave Maria du Feu, Ave Maria de l'Air, Ave Maria, Ave Maria, Ave Maria. So with each one of these, it, you know, it's Ave Maria de la Mer, or, you know, you know, the name Mary was an enlightened being. And so I offered that enlightened being, I offered the elements of the sea to her. So that they could eat that prayer, all those that are of the of the ocean, of the water, Ave Maria de la Terre is the earth, Ave Maria de Feu is the fire, and Ave Maria de l'Air is the air. And so when I started doing that, every time I put a rose down, and before I was finished, the roses were completely opened up, floating on the sea. And then that afternoon, they took the took the Madonna out of the church, and there was a procession of boats where they would choose the most prettiest girl in the town, and they and the priest, the Madonna, and the Shakti, the beautiful Shakti, the f- divine feminine. She would represent the divine feminine of the village. And they would, they all went in this boat and blessed every single boat. And I just ended up being the second boat in the in the procession. So it was a sea procession. So I do this um, this prayer I carry, and this is how I offer. I, I learned how to offer, you know, in different traditions. But 
because my own tradition is Mary and I was raised with Mary, that I've returned to that tradition so that I can help bridge the gap with the Western culture and starting with myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, we're running out of time here now, Raylene. So can you give everybody your contact information? Um, and we'll also have it on our website where they can find your website because you have so many wonderful examples of how to give back to the earth and the mandalas. And, and it's just such a, uh, such a lovely exchange my, of, of love and care. So my, um, I'm on Facebook as Raylene Abbott and my website is singer of green blogspot.com. And, okay. and we'll uh, also have that in the, uh, the, the contact information um, with the archive. So you can just find it on SedonaSpotlight.com as well as um, archives of our shows and lots of other information on our clean water projects for the Hopi and Navajo and other great resources. So please check it out. Well, I hate to cut it short. It's, I could talk to you forever, Raylene, but thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in and turning up Sedona Spotlight because collectively we can all be spotlights helping to create a brighter world and a better future for everyone and anywhere. So keep on shining, everyone, and have a great day. Hello, my name is Sering Lodu, and as a part of the Tibetan heritage, I'm discovering many sacred connections with my indigenous brothers and sisters around the world. I'm also learning how many of them are suffering because of the dirty water, and now it's time for us to help them. So, as we say, if everything is dirty, polluted, or gone, that means we are also gone, as life is a water, so when we take action to help purify our waters. We are also purifying ourselves. When water is polluted, so are we. When water is gone, so are we. So, therefore, it is important for me to connect with my indigenous brothers and sisters so we can share our connected and collective wisdoms with the rest of the world, which is how to live in harmony with the earth. The time is now, and right now, we are starting with the Hopi and the Navajo brothers and sisters. So please, I request all of you to help this project, and I pray for you all. Love you, and thank you very much.